wellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. You're listening to A Quirky Journey, the healthy family podcast with your hosts, Joe Witten and Fuad Kassab. Everybody. Welcome to A Quirky Journey. Today we have a live recording of Mary Kelly from Good Mood Foods speaking at our very first gut health retreat up in far north Queensland um, that was just held last weekend and we had an amazing time and Mary was very inspirational and we all got so much out of her talks. So this is her second talk at the retreat. We didn't manage to get the first run recorded, but after at the end of it, we were like, we have got to record Mary's talks from now on um, because they're just so full of wisdom and just so much that we can learn from them. So this talk is nearly an hour and 45 minutes. It's quite a long talk, but it is so worth listening to. You may want to sit down and take notes because there's a lot in it. So Mary's talking about how when you start GAPS, you really need to learn to listen to your body um, because although the diet is something that all of us can benefit from, we really do have to tweak it so that we can um, suit it exactly to our own bodies and you have to learn to listen to your body's voice but you still need to push on with those healing foods and sometimes that's tough because people say, well, I can't eat so many foods, how am I going to do GAPS? Well, Mary talks you through it in this talk and shows you how you can do that because they did it in their family with multiple anaphylactic allergies, all sorts of salicylate and amine intolerances, histamine intolerances, parasites, all sorts of things, and they managed to heal really, really well on GAPS um, by taking it slow and listening to their bodies. So have a listen to this inspirational talk by Mary, and if you have any questions, you can contact her on her Facebook page, Good Mood Food, and she has a website, which is goodmoodfood.net.au. And if you're interested in coming along to our next gut health retreat, it's going to be held from the 2nd to the 4th of June here in far north Queensland. You can find all the information on my blog, quirkycooking.com.au. Just click on the banner there that says gut health retreat. Or you can email us at help at quirkycooking.com.au. Thanks, and I hope you enjoy the podcast. I had many, many clients who have phoned me because um, they've been down every avenue and they've been to see naturopaths or GAPS practitioners. Now, I'm using these because there are GAPS practitioners out there who will put the sign on the door that they're a GAPS practitioner and then the minute you walk into the office, they'll say, oh, GAPS isn't for you. Yeah. And they are not GAPS practitioners. They have just gotten the certification. There are a lot of them out there. My rule about GAPS practitioners, we're going to start with this point, if they haven't done it themselves... Don't go to that GAPS practitioner. Done GAPS themselves. Yeah, if they haven't done GAPS themselves. You have to, I, I think you would agree with me, Fuad and Joe, that you have to have done it to understand because there are things that she will tell you in the GAPS that you will not believe until you see it for yourself. Like my child eating chicken eggshells. A bit weird. On day three, she started begging for chicken eggshells. And I couldn't believe it. I thought this is some kind of pika. You know, we have parasites where they, and I, I, Read up in the FAQs, if a child is craving chicken eggshells, they are deficient in calcium, just let them eat it. They'll only eat it for a day or two. So I crushed up the chicken eggshells, and this little girl, she ate her chicken eggshells, and then after two days, she felt better, and she didn't eat the chicken eggshells. Oh, that's a frequently asked question. <laughs> yeah. That's a frequently asked question. A freak question, yeah. You can mention that FAQs, they might not know what it is. Okay, yeah, so, um, so for those of you who are now have heard what we're going to talk about, today and yesterday and are thinking about embarking on GAPS yourself, 
you need to buy the book. The book is a Bible. Um, it is a framework, and that's what we're going to talk about today. It is not prescriptive. You don't have to follow the book step by step. You have to follow your body step by step. That's what we're talking about today. And also, she has on her website, it's www.gaps.me. She has a PDF of Gaps, Frequently Asked Questions, and that is where you get the details. That is where she posts, if you have chronic fatigue, you need to do this. If you have ulcerative colitis, you need to do this. You know, she talks a lot about autistic kids in there. Gives really, really good advice and good um, resources for, for autistic kids because she had an autistic non-verbal kid who now is, I think he's about 20-something now, and he travels the world presenting. So she completely reversed his symptoms of an unhealthy gut. And so she is, uh, she's an absolute pioneer. She is light years ahead of her time. And the stuff that she's been talking about for 20 years now is only starting to be discovered by science. So... Go and look at those FAQs and lose yourself in them. They are incredible. Okay. Because there's a lot in the GAPS book that you'll be like, oh, I don't understand that. Um, and it ex- it's and explained. that website is where you can buy the book. Uh, you can buy the book on Amazon. Book okay. depository. Uh, yeah. It's called GAPS. It's called Gut and Psychology Syndrome. Yeah. Yeah. So it's yeah. yellow. And it's got now. Yeah. Yeah. Also, yeah. yeah. they don't understand what goes on in your feelings and where you're at and how much you hesitate about moving to the next step. It's not complete prescriptive. Yeah. Oh, you feel this next step. Yeah, it's very different. It's a much more of an organic process. It is an organic process, exactly. So back to the point that I was starting on and then I got distracted was I've had many, many people come to me. I'm not a GAPS practitioner. I'm a, I'm a mum who did it. And I, I advertise that fact on my page and it seems to be what brings people to me is because I'm not medicalized. I'm just a mum who's trying to share all this information. They have to be have a medical background niche, don't they? You do. You have to have studied nutrition or yeah. all of that stuff. I studied Bachelor of Arts, Fine Arts. <laughs> they won't let me come and get to know. I could, I could study nutrition and do but I actually decided, I made a very conscious choice not to go down that road um, because of all the negative stuff that I see happening where people go and they pay huge bucks and then they get just told to supplement everything. Rather than heal the gut, heal the gut. So then they end up, the supplements are helping to keep the symptoms at bay, and they end up coming to me and saying, always the beginning of the conversations, I don't want to do gaps because I've been told it's not right for me, or I don't believe I can do gaps. And then we let them talk that out, and then I go, gaps. And they go, okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So today we're going to discuss how gaps is a framework, and it is available to you to be adjusted. Your job is not to be formulaic. And those kind of people who like to follow recipes and who like to follow things to the T, <laughs> you're going to have to go on a growing experience about how to listen to your body and not how to be formulaic. It is not the responsibility of the GAPS book to tell you how you feel. You've got to listen to yourself, okay? And your responsibility is, is to listen to your body. Why won't you? Oh, uh, sorry. Your responsibility is to listen to your body, especially when it is shouting for change. So... It is a lovely idea, and I often speak to people in the holistic world who have the statement, we all know one diet doesn't fit all bodies. It's a lovely idea. It is wrong. Okay? One diet that does fit all bodies is the gap diet, and there is a reason for this. God did not make us different so that your bones calcify differently to your bones, and your blood flows in a different direction to your blood. Our bodies work the same way. Our brains receive food the same way. Our toenails receive their food the same way. And it is obstructive and it is 
it's a bit airy fairy for us to think that you will receive the food for your toenails differently to the way that you will. Our bodies are the same. The differences come because of damage. Okay, and I want that to sink in a little bit. Our bodies use the same processes. We are designed to function the same way. Children are born the same way. There are exceptions to this rule, but those exceptions are because of damage. Okay. So what we're all trying to do, we've all probably been on this journey, we've tried multiple different diets. There's AIP, there's paleo, there's uh, fail-safe, elimination diet, there is uh, low-carb, high-fat, there's high-carb, low-fat, there's a million different diets, and they might, we might find that I feel fantastic on a high-carb diet and you feel fantastic on a low-carb diet. That doesn't mean that we're healing. It just means you've removed this, the thing that is causing the symptoms. You've just eliminated. That's, paleo is a wonderful diet, and I will never bag paleo because there are, yeah, there, <laughs> yeah, there are many people out there who will do paleo and who will feel fantastic. The problem that I have with paleo is that you have to stay on it forever because you have not healed the root cause of the problem on paleo. You have eliminated the problem foods that were causing inflammation. And the other thing I'm going to say while I'm thinking of it is food is never the problem. Salicylates, vegetables, fruit, meat is not a problem. Even wheat. It's what we've done to the food that is the problem. And it is the damage in our own personal guts that is the problem. Okay, I think we've created a society where food is the problem. Dairy is terrible. You hear that an awful lot. Dairy is not terrible. Dairy is very, very good for your body. As long as it's not pasteurized and homogenized. As long as it's raw. My son will drink a cup of raw milk every single day. The other day he drank a cup of pasteurized milk because that's all there was. And he straight away started having an allergic reaction. Now that little boy's body is telling me something. That's not good for us. He's my little canary in the coal mines. I go and feed him things that aren't good. And I'm like, if he has a reaction, oh, look, that's not good for us. We shouldn't touch that. (laughs) Awesome mother. Okay. So it's not that we shouldn't be trying to minimize the symptoms because that can reduce inflammation. But if you think that the diet that you're on by eliminating food is going to heal the problem, you're wrong. It won't. You have to target the healing. Okay. And that is why I have come to the conclusion, whoa, that did not come fast, that the GAPS diet solves the root cause. I know sometimes I think it sounds like I'm this huge, big, like, GAPS, GAPS, woo, you know, like other people are for other diets. But I will tell you that we tried it all. And this is the only one that works. And one of the reasons I think it works is because it covers so much. It's this huge, big umbrella. We do juicing, we do low carb, high fat, we do healing, we do the anti-inflammatory foods, you know, there's all of the things that everyone else is talking about in these little rabbit hole silos, it's kind of in this big hug under gaps, okay, so it's the big picture, okay, now we've talked about the gut being the root cause, we talked about what happens to the gut and why our guts are in a bit of a mess, and why our individual guts are in a mess are, are stories for you to discover, Talk to your mothers about their health when they gave birth to you. And your fathers, you know, sometimes the mother can be in perfect health and the, the father has an Asperger's um, bacteria that is, is thriving in his gut. Well, that gets passed to the mothers, gets passed to the children. Okay. So you talk to your parents and talk about how you were as a kid as well. That's always an interesting conversation. Was I fussy? Did I only eat white food? Was I a little bird and I only picked 
was the other one who was sitting at the table when dinner, you know, after lunch and still sitting there at dinner time. That was me. My mum made me sit there until dinner because I wouldn't eat my food. Yeah, I used to make castles out of the gnash. <laughs> I was a creative, not very interested in eating. Um, okay, rabbit holes. Um, symptoms can be rabbit holes a little bit. So when we talk about chronic health in society, there's, it's almost always one root cause. I would say it is always one root cause, but I'm sure that someone could provide me an example of where it isn't. <laughs> but um, I have yet to see that example. To me, the root cause is the state of the gut, okay? Um, the symptoms that we are facing in society these days are too many to count. There are now, there's something like 500 new autoimmune diseases diagnosed a year. So can you imagine being a little scientist in a lab, having to study one of those, when there's 500 new ones a year, and they're not sharing the knowledge across that? Like you're seeing reports in the news, it's starting to come out now where they've discovered that gut bacteria is responsible for dementia. And then two weeks later, they've discovered that gut bacteria is responsible for the symptoms of MS. And they're not talking to each other. They've both discovered the root cause. But they're not talking to each other. And imagine if we can get into a world where they, where they talk to each other. That would be so cool. Okay. So the reason, the root cause, is fascinatingly the state of the organ that sits in the center of our being that feeds our brain, our blood, our bones, and our toes. And we have always disregarded this organ and we thought the heart is important and the lungs are important. Those are acute organs. Those keep us alive. The gut keeps us well. Okay. If the message isn't getting through from the gut to the brain, then the gut is damaged. It's as simple as that. Okay. There is something that I say to my clients a million times a day when they go down rabbit holes. I have the MTHFR gene mutation. I've been down that rabbit hole. Feel the gut. And I'll say, but I'm depressed. Feel the gut. My son has anaphylaxis. Feel the gut. Focus, focus, focus on that, and everything else comes right. And it's how much easier is that to focus on this rather than trying to remineralize because you don't methylate well? That's a whole. What does that mean? Remineralize and methylate. You know what I mean? Kill the gut, and your body will start to remineralize because your gut will start to absorb the minerals better, and then you will start to methylate better. Okay. Um. So we we have to ask ourselves the question. I've just said to you, one diet fits all. So why would anyone need to adjust the diet? And that is because although there is one root cause and one way to heal it in terms of one framework way to heal it, we all do have different DNA. And so when we have symptoms, everybody presents those symptoms in different ways. And doing a diet where you ignore your symptoms is not the best idea. So you do have, you do have to firefight the symptoms while you are resolving the root cause. And I'll explain that in a bit more detail. Um, but I'll give you examples of that. Like, you can't push through anaphylaxis. You will not have anything to heal <laughs> if you try and push through anaphylaxis. Um, there are lots of people who are on antidepressant medication, antipsychotic medication. You can't easily wean off that. You can't just stop taking that one day. Medications have to be taken into consideration. So then you need to think about detoxing more because you're adding toxins every single day and you can wean off those slowly, sure. And that's the goal. You know, we want to be medicine-free, um, but that has to be taken into consideration. Um, food intolerances, uh, you know, there's 
histamine intolerances is a big one. Um, dairy intolerances, egg intolerances, you know, where it's not anaphylaxis or allergies. Um, if you keep feeding yourself something that you're intolerant to and your body hasn't yet healed from it, it will cause inflammation. And um, inflammation means you don't heal because your body's too inflamed and it's trying to deal with inflammation. Um, so you have to remove that food until your body is healed and then slowly bring it back. Um, and even autoimmune, you know, the body has learned an immune. So autoimmune means your body, the immune system, 80% of which resides in this beautiful gut organ of ours, um, has an immune response, something that it believes it is doing for your benefit. That's the Frankenstein computer. And it learns that as a, like a code in a computer so that you have to train that computer of yours to unlearn that. That's why nut anaphylaxis takes such a long time to heal because the body's like, I'm convinced that this is bad for you, and you have to convince it otherwise. Some things will heal quite quickly. Intolerances tend to heal quickly, and autoimmune things take a lot longer to heal, but they heal. They do. You know, remission first and then healing. Um, yeah, so when I talked about our DNA responding to damage, that all comes from genetic mutations in our gut. You know, our gut has turned on the wrong genes, which means that, and these are the genes that come down from the lines in our family, which means that. Um, you will present with autism when your gut is damaged and I will present with Crohn's disease because that is a DNA line. So we all have this genetic makeup um, and some I will have a Crohn DNA. I don't know, Crohn's DNA. What will I have? ADHD. Oh, my God. My whole family. I grew up in a family where everyone has ADHD except me. I was the black sheep of the family because I did not have ADHD. So I, um, I have, we have very, very strong alcoholism and ADHD coming down one side of the family. That gene exists there. Whether it's turned on or not depends on the state of the gut. We all have genetic predisposition. You know, I talk about vaccines a lot because I really believe that mothers who are seeing their children suffer injuries, they, I'm not really big on dismissing a mother who spends 24 hours with her child. And I believe that there are children who have autistic predisposition that can be triggered by a toxin in something that we're putting into their bodies. I, you know, I believe that. I believe that sometimes that isn't triggered and sometimes it is triggered. But I think that you kind of thousands of people saying it is and science just going, no, it's not, shut up, stop talking, stop talking. So the reason for that is not that, in my humble opinion, that vaccines cause autism. I will never, ever, ever say that. But I will say that if a child has a predisposition because of a family line, you need to tread very, very carefully with that child. And that's the message. Oh, I would love to see that. I would love to see a society where we go forward and we, we mark red flags on children before we vaccinate them. We say, these children have no red flags and they can be vaccinated. These children have red flags, big ones. They need to be held back from vaccination schedule. And these ones in the middle, these ones are showing some red flags. Maybe we could split them into individual vaccines for these ones. Just delay it a bit. You know? Imagine a society that looked after the children like that. You know what I mean? Wouldn't that be wonderful? Anyway, the point of that whole discussion is our DNA determines how our gut reacts, depending on the state of our gut. Okay. So, when, when you think about healing your gut, the goal is not to hide the symptoms and then move on with your life as if everything is okay, which is what many, many, many people in the medical world and in the natural world are telling us to do, hide the symptoms. Oh, wait, wait, how many people have you told they're deficient in zinc and B6? Zinc and B6. Supplement zinc and B6. 
Sure, supplement zinc and B6 if that makes it feel better. It's not resolving anything. Why are you deficient in zinc and B6? That should be the question. <laughs> okay, so in order to adjust gaps, you need to unmask your symptoms. So we can, I will give you an example. I, I think Fuad had this as well. We, we have severe dust mite allergies. And I've always been told I'm allergic to dust mites. I cut out dairy on intro and my dust mite allergy went away. That is what's referred to as unmasking. Life is not black and white. Until you have done intro, you don't really know what is causing one symptom and what is causing another symptom. And we discovered, like with my little Edie on intro, we discovered all sorts of things that were triggering this ADH behavior. I thought it was dairy and wheat, you know. But we discovered that she had candida and toxicity. And when we, bit, when we went down to intro, it's like you do the, the first three days. It's like I say the word fasting, but I think sometimes people read that as not eating. And that's not it at all. You eat, but you eat highly digestible foods, broths and soups and meats cooked in broths. Um, and when you do that, um, you break the neural pathways. We talked about that a bit yesterday. It is like going up to a computer and rebooting it. And when it comes back, everything is clear. Before, the computer was all, you know, it was frozen on this page or there was a blue screen or all these things were happening. You reboot it and it comes back clear and suddenly you can read it again. That's what happens on the first three days of intro. And what that is referred to as unmasking. So because you cut your diet back to this highly digestible food that is so manageable to the human body, now you bring in egg yolks and you start to feel that your mood shifts. You might have discovered that you are intolerant to eggs. So you hold off on eggs until that doesn't happen anymore. You know what I mean? And then you introduce the next food and it's very, very, very specific and staggered. And that is how you discover what was causing those symptoms all the time, and you would never have known it. Some people will say, I never used to be intolerant to eggs, and now I am. And I will argue, no, you always were. But your body was masking it. I was just going to say, what would be some of those symptoms just for the Well, I'll give my baby as an example, who is a very healthy baby, but egg yolks make her twitch. Very strange symptom. But at night, she can't sleep. She's like twitchy, 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 twitchy arms are moving, hitting herself in the head and I've tried eggs about four or five times and then I haven't tried them since Christmas because I was sick of the disturbed sleep. <laughs> so I just stopped and then we'll try again because she's done so much healing and suddenly she's able to tolerate a lot more foods now. So I will try eggs again and see if she still gets that same reaction. For other people it's rashes. Um, there's three. It's behavior, skin, stool. And uh, sometimes it'll cause you a loose stool. Um, that's not really anything to worry about. Lots of things cause loose stool. It's if it causes you a loose stool, that is like water, like diarrhea, then that's not something you push you. But I always say it, it needs to be either three or two of those. You know what I mean? So if there's behavior that's off and there's a massive rash all over the body, uh, that food is definitely inflammatory and pull that food. If the behavior is a bit off, but everything else looks fantastic, that's something you can push through. And if you push through it and the behavior deteriorates, deteriorates, no, then it's time to pull back again. It's a real touchy-feely process. It's definitely not linear. <laughs> uh, I like, my, my friend describes it as here's a mountain and we all just want to run up to the top of the mountain, which is perfect divine health. But actually, we have to go around the mountain. And every time we go around, we get a little bit higher and we look down on where we were before and we're a little bit higher. Yeah, And that's, that's the process. Um, yeah, so we mentioned briefly that you can't um, heal the gut if you're inflamed. 
Now, RCA skills, that's root cause analysis skills. We're going to talk about that. I'm going to teach you guys just a very, very brief exercise of how to do root cause analysis for your body. Um, how to work out what is the cause and what is the effect of food. Um, and then I, I generally say to people, don't do testing. Uh, this isn't, I have other people who are very, very, very good at GAPS who will say, test, 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 test. Um, they say you can target your probiotics if you know what you're dealing with. I say there are 150 trillion different types of bacteria and we're testing for this many that you don't get clear answers and it's a waste of money. That's my personal opinion. I also think testing will send you down rabbit holes. You'll test and you'll find out something about yourself that will send you down this rabbit hole away, away from heal the gut, heal the gut, heal the gut towards supplement. Because that's what I need. I'm never going to be able to get those. Heal the gut, you'll get them. Okay. I will say, however, that adults take much longer to heal than children. We have more damage. We have longer guts. Um, so we often find that after you've been through intro, you do need cherries on top to help you to actually function and feel well. And that, that is that is adjusting the diet for yourself. Is that a contradiction, what I've just said? It might be. A little bit, huh? So let me just clarify what I mean. Well, I'll tell you what we did. We didn't do any testing. First testing we did was after 18 months when we tested for parasites. And we focused on healing the gut, healing the gut, healing the gut. I discovered after about six weeks, because I'd had chronic fatigue, that I did not detox at all. My lymphatic system had pretty much shut down. And so I felt like a toxic sludge fest walking around all the time. I was just like... And everyone else was jumping and bright and happy with bright skin. And I just thought, crap. So it was clear to me that I needed some cherries on top. I didn't need to test to know that I needed cherries on top. I could tell that I thought, crap. Okay. So I started focusing very, very hard on helping my liver detox, on Epsom salt bath, magnesium oil on the feet, getting out in the sunshine. I even was jumping on a trampoline. Because apparently that's good for your lymphatic system. Yeah. I was dry brushing. You know, like to get the, the lymphatic system right at the surface, just under your skin. And you just brush it, and it stimulates it to life. Mine needed a good kickstart. That's what it needed. A, yeah, this, you go to health food stores, and you can get these special brushes. And you literally, you wake up in the morning before you've had a shower. You brush. Um, I YouTube this when I did it. You brush starting at your toes all the way up to your heart, your arms to your heart, everything to your heart, your back up to your heart, and then down to your heart. You see it? So you're trying to stimulate that lymphatic system all the way in, in that direction. I can't tell you how fantastic it is. Mm -hmm. And you feel great. It doesn't solve anything. You just feel great for a few hours when you've been feeling like sludge for so long. And then we tested at 18 months, found that we had parasites because we kind of knew we did, but I just wanted, it was a free test and I wanted confirmation. And when we did find out we did, it was kind of like, oh. And then we went off the parasites and everyone's healing went up another level. But do you see what I mean about, we, you didn't, we didn't need to test. You figure this stuff out. You figure out how you feel and how you need to respond to that. So that's what I mean by testing takes you down the rabbit hole because you can listen to your body and respond to your individual body or you can go and do a test which tells you that you need to stop focusing on this genetic mutation over there. And I can tell you right now, my head turned when I tested for that. I tested that about three months ago and I found out I had a double heterogeneous gene mutation. I had a big cry. I felt really sorry for myself. This would be so hard nonsense. <laughs> and I was going down this way and Elise Cumberford pulled me back and said, Mary, <coughs> heal the gut. You've regressed. Your gut's regressed. Come back. You need to focus again. And it was because of pregnancy and all that kind of stuff. So it was good to have someone pull me back onto heal the gut, heal the gut, heal the gut. Okay. Right. Oh, the, the thing I said about medical testing for difficult cases, um, it can be very, very beneficial for kids like we have pandas. Have you guys heard of pandas? Where kids have mind-blowing anger issues 
like aggressive, like where a mother is fearing for herself because this child has such huge meltdowns and big swings up and down. You get that child tested, you will find they have strep. And strep is messing with their brain. And then you can target for that particular child. But if you have a child who just has gut trouble, it's going to come right with healing the gut. There are severely autistic kids who will benefit from testing. Um, you know, that kind of stuff. There are, um, I have some clients who have been on gaps for six months and they really haven't improved. And these are the hard, hard, hard cases who've been sick since the day that they came out of the womb. And I often will just send them for a bit of testing just so that they can see if there's some kind of probiotic that they can target that will just help to lift them. So the difficult cases, I will, I will say testing can be beneficial. But my standard is first try the diet. And if it doesn't work, then see where you need to go. Okay, okay. the Ishikawa diagram. Anyone who's worked in business will remember this. The irony was, okay, before I, um, before I left work to become a mother, I was a problem manager. <laughs> I believe in God. I'm, I'm sure you guys know that. But I believe that he put me into this weird IT job of problem management to train me for now. Because do you know what we learned in problem management? Root cause analysis. Okay, and I would go all over the world and train people. I was the European manager. I was a bit of a half liar in those days. And I would go and I'd stand up in front of them like this and I would teach them how to figure out when an IT system crashes and everyone gets an error message on their screen, there's two things that you have to do. The first thing you have to do is quickly resolve the error message so that people can get back to work because the business is losing money. So in the IT guys do, and they find a workaround, and often that workaround is switching everyone from this big server to this big server because this big server is working. <coughs> now, in most IT, com IT companies, people do that, and then they all carry on with their jobs. My job is to say, <coughs> come back here. What's wrong with this server? Go and look at it and figure out what the root cause of that problem was so that it doesn't happen again to save the business money. Now, think about that as a human body. Symptoms are our error messages coming up on our screens. You need to resolve that. You need to remove the cause of that symptom immediately so that you don't cause inflammation to your body. And then while you're doing that, you need to go and resolve the root cause. And you need to figure out what was it. You know, sometimes, even working out how to remove that symptom means you can't, you can't remove that symptom until you figure out what's causing that symptom on that particular day. Does that make sense to everyone? So um, I'll give you an example of my own stupidity. I like to put it out there for everyone to see. I was uh, not very good at listening to my body when I did GAPS, and I believed you follow GAPS by the book, and the more probiotics you have, the faster you're going to hit. And so I was on the Kefir bandwagon. I was chucking that stuff in. And I was also having daily mental health meltdowns to the point where my husband thought that I needed to go to hospital to see a psychologist because it was out of control, irrational, mad. I was angry. It took me a very, very long time and some advice from someone who knew to work out that the strains of bacteria in the kefir were causing my mental health breakdowns every day. I took kefir out. The next day, I was okay. But it took me a long time to figure out the cause and the effect of that. And so now I will often have clients who are talking about this rage that they feel, and they always think it's because of the gas diet. It's so hot. I'm full of rage. I'm like, are you doing kefir? Yes, take it out. Okay. <laughs> Next day, they're like, you're right. I feel much better now. But it's nice to be able to pay that forward a little bit, because hey, I had the same problem. So how this works is, I always do, if, if you're somebody who's not good at root cause analysis, 
draw that diagram. Okay? And what you do is on each, on the end of each arrow, you write what the potential cause is. What do you think might be causing this particular symptom in your child or in yourself? Okay. So say um, you have a rash, a red rash that comes up every time you eat. It doesn't matter what you eat. It's a different meal every time. You're going to draw this diagram, and you're going to get much better at this. The first time, you're going to have very random guesses, and it doesn't matter. And you write them all down as, as, as inconsequential, as unlikely as they are. You put one on each of the fish bones, okay? Um, strips, you can put over here. Uh, fermented foods, uh, eggs, inflammation, parasites. You know what I mean? You write down all the things that you think might be causing that particular symptom, and then you go through the very slow and steady and accurate process of testing each of those theories out. You remove each thing, one at a time. Do not remove them all at the same time because you will not find your answer. And you, you cross it out. If it, you take out the eggs, but the rash continues. You cross eggs off your list. You take out the fermented foods, the rash continues. You cross fermented foods off your list. can't remember what the other ones are said. <laughs> so can I just ask, um, the process of elimination, Yeah. How does it work where you might find there's more than one cause to a problem? Yes. When you're eliminating a single problem at a time, you go all of a sudden, I read the eggs, that seemed to yeah, actually yeah. be the eggs in combination with something else. With something else. Well, for example, I always yeah. thought I was lactose intolerant and I was gluten and lactose intolerant. Mm -hmm. I could not that figure that out. I would never have been able to figure that out until I did intro. And in the intro, the goal is meet together. Yeah, they reacted when I had them together. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and I believe society said there was always one cause. And anyway, the, the lactose and the gluten weren't the cause. Mm -hmm. The gut was the cause. Um, when you do the intro diet, it's all about not taking foods out but bringing foods back in. So you've stripped everything back to bare. And you, bring, you need to be so onto it and keep a food diary, people. And you bring those eggs back in and you start to notice something. So you reduce them and the symptom goes away. It's much easier on intro. When you start by eating a whole food diet and full gut, it's much more difficult. And there have been many times when there have been three things on my list that were causing something. And it took me about three months to figure that out. Of, I removed every single thing off my list and there was nothing else it could be and I still had the rash. So then I had to start things in combination. Yeah. But to that point, if there are more than one thing that is causing, what is the focus of all of those? Feel the gut. If you have all these foods that are causing those symptoms, you need to pair back, pair back, pair back until the symptoms are gone and then reintroduce, reintroduce, yeah. This is a really appropriate talk for adults. Kids are different. Kids are just little rockets. They shoot out the gates and they've healed. I mean, my son had healed an egg yolk allergy in four days. You know, it was just mad. He was, we couldn't even walk, go into a cafe where they cooked eggs. You know, he'd end up in the ER. So, but it's the adults that you really notice that, that it's this forward, backwards, forward, backwards movement. And um, the one thing I will say with adults is we put so much into our kids' healing that we forget and we just endure the symptoms because we feel like we're rational human beings and we can understand why we're feeling uncomfortable. But I say to you, it's not the point. It's, the point is not to feel uncomfortable. It's a very, very gentle diet. 
It doesn't feel gentle when you're in a heavy detox, but the point is gentle. Even when you're in a heavy detox, you need to look at your situation and go, this is too much dial for my body. Have I had too much probiotic? Pair it back. Get your body back to calm and uninflamed. Because that's where it's healing its best. Okay. Don't be like me and just be like, more probiotics. It's not the way. Okay. This is uh, to your point. What if you have too many symptoms? If you have too many symptoms, you need to be on intro. End of story. Too many symptoms means too many gates open in your gut. And things are only going to get worse from there. And I want you to picture sometimes when you think about whether you're going to do gaps or not, even if you're just thinking about bringing healing foods into your diet, I want you to picture yourself when you're old. I want you to picture the things that are happening to our older people that you are trying to create a parallel outcome for yourself. You're trying to create an outcome where you do not die of old age dementia, where you do not die of old age cancer heart disease, diabetes, all these adult onset diseases that are happening earlier and earlier and earlier. That's what you're trying to do here. You're not, you might be even in a fairly healthy state with a few red flags. Those red flags are going to lead to more and more and more until we get the, adult, the, the old age onset diseases. Okay, and That's what we're trying to do. I'm going for like 101 in great vitality health. That's what I'm after. Yeah, I'm going to have to stop the coffee if I want that though. Okay, so too many symptoms means you go back to introduction. Um, an introduction is where you learn the very, very important exercise of listening to your body. I cannot stress this enough. Keep a food diary. Otherwise, you're just having a laugh. <laughs> Keep a food diary. And especially on those first three stages of intro. And I would go back and suddenly... So I would get to um, stage four, which is when you bring in the, the more inflammatory foods that are all still quite good for you, but things like nuts. And everything deteriorated when I brought in nuts. But I persisted, persisted, persisted. To the point where I was about five months into gaps and I was really, I was starting to get bloated tummies all over again. And I went back and looked at that food diary that I kept and I looked and it said nuts and then it said bloated tummy. And then I realized that I had ignored that. And I just pushed because I really wanted the baked goods. Mm. I wanted some texture in my diet. And so I just kind of had moved through until five months later and then I took the nuts out and then the bloated tummy went away. And I was like, oh, for goodness sake, Mary, <laughs> you know. I wasn't very good at this, people. <laughs> I'm good at it now. But the point is, I'm a classic example of someone who just powered through, didn't listen to my body. I believe that if you did it according to the book, it was all going to work. Yeah? Okay. Um, when This is a question that I often get asked, so I'll ask it before someone actually asks it, which is, what happens when you've been on gaps for months and you have a food that has been a safe food and suddenly you start to react to that food again? Regression in the microbiome. I want you to all write this one down. Regression in the microbiome causes regression in symptoms. It's very, very simple. If you start to become unwell again, you have gone the wrong way. And you are feeding the wrong bacteria again, and you need to remind yourself that you are not drinking enough broth, you are not having enough probiotic, your microbiome is slipping back to what it knew before. It takes about two years to actually establish that microbiome so that it kind of goes, okay, this is the new... Two years seems to be the thing with the body. If you have flu, that will destroy your immune system for two years. If you get measles, they are talking about the immune system being affected for two years. There was a fascinating article that came out the other day about the measles vaccine. They noticed when they started giving the measles vaccine in all countries, and now they're doing it in Africa, all of the other childhood diseases went away. 
And that is because if you don't get the measles, you don't open your immune system up to getting to being so decimated that it suddenly starts to get all the other childhood diseases. I'm talking about in the 1800s now. So that was this incredibly brilliant thing that the measles vaccine brought to society was that it actually protected from all that other stuff because that two-year immunity hit. And it seems to be the same with gaps. It takes two years to convince the body and to change the microbiome and to heal everything. It also takes two years because we have Easter and Christmas. <laughs> yeah. No getting away. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. If my family can figure this out, then so can yours. I will go through the list of what we had. I will read, even though you can read for yourselves. We were a hot mess of symptoms. And, and we were... It's funny, we were fairly, I, I think my husband and I are fairly intelligent people and we are quite good at adjusting to change. We don't really resist too much unless the mental health isn't good. And because I'd been a problem manager, I, I felt like I was, I felt like I was all over this stuff until we did intro and I broke it down and I started to understand that what the doctors had told me were the root causes of all our woes were not. So we had, okay, I had depression and anxiety and then I caused my husband to have depression and anxiety because he had to look after us while I had depression and anxiety. And then he got to have his turn. Um, I had chronic fatigue for years. I had, um, I used to be a very, very active uh, sportswoman. I was a rower. I used to row in an eight. I rowed at Henley, Royal Regatta. We came fourth. I like telling people because they don't really see rower in this body anymore. But um, I was uh, training five hours a day Eight days a week. I know that doesn't seem possible, but on Sundays we rode twice. So we were in the gym or we were in the rowing boat. And this is when I was at university. And we were sponsored by Powerade. So they would send us these big bottles of concentrated sports drink to keep us going. And I just drank Powerade all day long. And we ate pies. And we carbo-loaded. And um, somewhere in the middle of all of that, I picked up glandular fever. And I was diagnosed with tonsillitis. So I was put on a six-month course of antibiotics because the tonsillitis wouldn't go away until the doctor realized, oh, no, she has glandular fever. And she's been rowing. And when you have glandular, you're supposed to do no physical exercise whatsoever. So as you can imagine, by the end of my university career, I, had, I was just absolutely wrecked. I was starting to get hypoglycemic seizures. I passed out in the boat once. Apparently, I kept rowing. <laughs> yeah. And then afterwards, they realized my body was moving, but I was not there at all. And then they had to, like climb into the boat and feed Coca-Cola down my throat to get the sugar levels back up so that I didn't slip into a coma. That was how much of a hot mess I was. Um, after the rowing, so I managed to eke, eke out the train and get to the end of the rowing and then I collapsed, absolutely collapsed. Chronic fatigue, I looked everywhere for a solution and I did find a solution in homeopathy actually, helped that, those fatigue symptom, symptoms. But I remember like when I met Stu, we would go down to the beach to go for a walk and I couldn't get out of the car and walk along the beach. That to me was the most exhausting concept. Nothing in the muscles, you know, there's nothing. In your muscles, it's just picture your muscles just lying dead and then there's nothing. You have nothing to give them. It was awful. I had weird pain everywhere in my body. My feet, my knees and my neck and shoulders were always in pain and I always thought it was exercise that was doing it. Um, thyroiditis, we have a bit of history of thyroid issues, but the kind that don't come up on the tests, which is always fun to talk to doctors about that. Um, Irritable bowel syndrome. And now, when I say talk to your mothers, 
my mother told me the story about how she was an ER nurse in South Africa and she contracted tuberculosis. And so they, in order to save her life, she was in hospital for six months on antibiotics, the most broad spectrum, IV, every kind of antibiotic. So you can imagine what that did to her body. Um, and she already came from a family where there was colitis. So here you've got a gut and a predisposition to gut trouble being decimated by these high broad spectrum antibodies. No antifungals were given. And when she left the hospital, the doctor said, I'm so glad you're still alive. You might feel tired from now on. And my mother developed chronic fatigue, ME, and basically lay in bed for the next 15 years. In the middle of all of that, shortly after the hospital stint, she gave birth to my brother, who had ADHD, myself, I had yeast orbital bowel syndrome, and my sister, who had ADHD as well, amongst lots of other things. Okay. And when we look back on it, I reckon if my mother hadn't contracted tuberculosis, my health wouldn't be nearly as bad as it is today, and my son's health wouldn't be nearly as bad as it is. Because in my lifetime, before I gave birth to my son, I did nothing to change that bacterial gift. Okay. <laughs> Everyone in the family was lactose and wheat intolerant. Actually, lactose, was lots of anaphylaxis around that. Salicylate intolerance. You guys all heard about salicylate intolerance? Yeah. Uh, they started, my son, so he was told he was salicylate intolerant because he couldn't tolerate any fruit. Um, some kids, they can only tolerate low salicylate fruits. Salicylate is a chemical, it's a phenyl in fruit and vegetables. It helps to protect the fruit and vegetables from insects. It's like a natural protective thing. Um, and so we were told salicylate intolerance. And it's bollocks, there's no such thing as salicylate intolerance. A salicylate is a phenyl that helps your body to detox. So when you eat fruit and vegetables, they are cleansing. Yeah, that's why we eat them. They don't heal, they cleanse. And they trigger your liver, which is maybe having a bit of a hard time to let go of the toxins. So it's when you eat fruit and veggies, it's a good thing. When you're toxic in your eyeballs and in your skin and in your lungs and your muscles and you eat something with a phenol in it and this little message gets to your brain saying you need to let go of your toxins and your muscles and your eyes and your... Every part of your body lets go of those toxins. You come out in rashes and headaches and vomiting and nausea because suddenly all this extra stored toxin, which shouldn't be there in the first place, has been released into your system. And they call that salicylate intolerance, so stop eating the fruit and vegetables. I say, you're toxic. <laughs> Detox. And what do you know? Suddenly you're able to tolerate fruit and vegetables. Okay. Anyway, that's just a side note, but that was a huge big problem. Amine intolerance was another thing that we were told we had. And then we had anaphylaxis, we had sensory processing disorder, FPIs, and eosinophilic esophagitis, which means that basically anything in his esophagus would cause an allergic reaction. Mm -hmm. And his esophagus, by the end of it, looked like an accordion, like that. And like literally, he would eat food and it would get trapped in these little, and then he'd be cho choking and vomiting on that as well. So that's what we were dealing with. Now, when I looked at my family and I wrote all this stuff out and I thought to myself, uh, I am so stressed out at the thought of having to resolve each and one, every one of those symptoms individually because that's what I thought we had to do. Um, and so I just did nothing because how do you, how do you fix that? Um, and then we had the episode in the hospital and we started focusing on gaps for my son and lo and behold, when we all went on gaps, all of this went away. So as part of all the root cause analysis, um, and the studying on GAPS intro, over a period of quite a long time, maybe about 18 months, what we discovered was we were toxic. That toxicity was causing depression, anxiety, and solicitors. We had candida. Candida was specifically causing IBS, sensory processing disorder, fatigue, brain fog, 
That was all Pandita. Fibra Marja. Oh my god. All this pain in my body disappeared. And it wasn't the exercise. <laughs> it was actually minerals missing from muscles. You know? Um, oh, and it was, you know, I talked about candida being in joints and scar tissue. It was that. But rid of the candida and all this pain went away in my knees. And, and now if I have, sorry, what's that? All the pain went away like within days. Yeah, it, it got worse first. Yeah, I got the real big pain in my pelvis and my knees and then suddenly it just disappeared. So some of these symptoms were like that. Toxicity takes a long time. To, you've got a detox, you go through these rolling detoxes where you feel terrible and then you feel great and then you feel terrible but not as bad as last time and then you feel great again and so you're like that going up the hill yeah that's the rolling detox so it, it does keep coming back because when we detox, we detox in like one mil of toxins and it makes us feel terrible and we've probably got let's say 10 mils of toxins in us you know what I mean? the amount of toxins we've got in our system is tiny it doesn't take very much for you to be toxic. And think about the world we're living in. Um, the parasites we discovered were causing, so we hit, a, we hit kind of a, a, a plateau where we stopped healing. We'd, and I was starting to think, oh, is this as good as it's going to get? Because there were still some things, you know, we were feeling fantastic, but there were still some things that weren't, weren't clearing up. And I was, I was a bit disappointed and got a bit down about it, actually. I was like, Gaps hasn't worked. I remember saying that to my husband, and then he made me go and read the food diary about how bad things used to be. That's another reason to keep a food diary. Whenever you think this hasn't worked, you go back and look at where you were. And you're like, oh my God, how are we surviving? You get. And then, so then um, I asked on a forum of women who knew, and they said, oh, if you've hit a, if you've hit a plateau, you've got parasites. Women often got tested. This all had to do with my fertility issues as well. But tested, oh, well, you know, we've got parasites, treated parasites, carried on healing. Everything went up. So around the time we had parasites, Danny was still had, had about 10 allergies still. Uh, he was getting asthma. There was uh, a bunch of stuff that, that wasn't going well. He was waking up now with leg cramps. People love to tell you it's growing pains. Oh, yes. nonsense. You don't have pain when you grow. If you have pain when you grow, you are missing magnesium in your body. And that's because your gut isn't absorbing it and giving it to your bones. You know, all the minerals are not getting to your bones. No, it's mineral deficiency. Because your body is basically trying to get you to grow, but it's having to steal minerals from all over. And it steals from your bones. That hurts. Um, anyway, so after we did the parasites, all of that stuff went away, and I realized the parasites, they're a weird and... You know, that's a dark hole to go down to the different things that parasites cause. Parasites, if you've ever tested really high iron or really low iron but everything else is okay it's parasites they either eat iron or they store it different parasites store heavy metals different parasites eat heavy metals and so they also eat iron and so you know there'll be, often be people who will have this little anomaly of high ferritin or high iron on their tests and the doctor will be oh I don't know I can't explain it I'm like parasites that's what it is if you get them tested mm -hmm. is it easy to see the parasites? no and my husband has has so my husband's health issues, he went to Chile for a year. And he came back with Giardi. And he went on course and course after antibiotic. Um, it didn't ever really get rid of the Giardia, but the symptoms went away. And can you believe it? When we did all our testing for parasites, Danny, Edie, and I had Giardia. I'd never had Giardia in my life. And we got it from Stu because the Giardia had never gone away. 
Stu tested negative for Giardia. <laughs> and he had all the symptoms. We put him on a parasite treatment. He had terrible diet. He had parasites. They just didn't show up in the test. On that particular day, in that particular stool sample, they didn't show up. But he was riddled. So how are you treating them? Um, I wrote a protocol, a parasite protocol. It's a little ebook, it's like two dollars or something on my website. Um, just for intellectual property stuff. But it's you treat them. There's a you treat them over a very long period of time. You do it while you're on gaps, and you do it with starting with diatomaceous earth, which you that's the foundation of the treatment. You keep that. It's a kind of silica which it cuts the exoskeletons of parasites, so they don't get used to it. Yeah. But they do get used to all the other herbs. So the other herbs you rotate. Yeah. So you go like you start off with just garlic and. Uh, Wormwood, cloves, and then you get to the harder oregano oils and fermented garlic. Oh my god! Fermented garlic. On parasites, I did a podcast. Yeah. I don't know that I do. Right. Because I'm thinking you can't treat in the traditional way because that's just going to. No, you can't. And it doesn't work. It only works like 50% of the time. Yeah. So it's not worth it. No. And that they'll just come back again because you haven't resolved the root cause, which is heal the gut. Heal the gut. Okay. Heal the gut, rebalance the microbiome. And to be honest with you, I have a lot of people who come to me and go, I've just gone and tested. I've done your parasite program and I've just gone and tested and I've still got them. And I say to them, but how are you feeling? And they're like, I feel fantastic. I'm like, then they're doing their job. They're doing a good thing for you now. You don't actually want to get rid of parasites. You want to not have symptoms of parasite infestation. It's two different things. Okay. And that's quite hard for people to understand. They want to get rid of the parasites. They, you don't want parasites in your gut. You do want parasites in your gut because they help with toxicity and they mop up heavy metals. They do a good job as long as they're not systemic. And they are not systemic if the gut microbiome is balanced because the other bacteria helps to keep parasites in control. And diet helps to keep parasites in control. You see, it's the same with yeast. When you take antibiotics, it kills everything except yeast. So yeast gets out of control. And yeast, when you look at it through a microscope, is shaped like a drill. Did we talk about that yesterday? A drill. And so they colonize. They drill into your gut. And if they're systemic, can you imagine all those holes that they've created? So the whole point is, and that's why whenever you take antibiotics, because there are going to be times in your life where you have to take antibiotics. There might be. Hopefully not, but there are times where. I have given my kids, each of them have been on one course of antibiotics, and it was because they would have, possibly died without them, you know what I mean? It would have got worse and worse and worse and worse, and they would have been sick. So you don't beat yourself up and go, no, I'm taking a stand on principle, and I'm not going to give my kids antibiotics. You give them the antibiotics. But give them the antibiotic, and the antibiotic is out of your stomach within two hours, and you chase that antibiotic two hours later with a probiotic. And not because the probiotic is going to survive, because the antibiotic's in the gut, and it, it will pass through your gut, and it will be killed by the next round of antibiotic coming. But while it's in the gut, it's controlling the yeast. So you're on antibiotics for two weeks. If you don't take any product, probiotic, there's nothing to control that yeast while the antibiotic is passing through over day after day after day, and the yeast becomes systemic. But if you're chasing it with a probiotic, so that's just some advice for you guys when you do ever have to do antibiotics. Is every two hours after the antibiotic, you have a broad-spectrum probiotic, a big chunk of sauerkraut. So you can have Yeah. And, and the healing that will rebalance them anyway. But is that just so you treated the parasites because it would have taken a lot longer if you came? Well, you'd hope that gaps will treat the parasites without having to do a parasite protocol. Yeah. But in our case, they were so systemic that it didn't. And it, you know, you need an extra. That's the cherry on top we yeah. needed. We had to do a treatment. Yeah. And um, I never tested again because we got rid of the symptoms of parasites. Full moon. Yeah. And new moon. 
it's not an old wives' tale that people become lunatics on full moon. It is actually parasites breed over full moon and they lay their eggs over new moon. That is their cycle. It has to do with the moon's pull on their water content or something. When they come out, because they like to hide in the gut mucosal lining, when they come out of the gut mucosal lining, they start wriggling and they interfere with neuropathies that are established. So they literally are like, you know that scene in dun, 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 where he's going through the lasers, you know? Yeah, so a parasite will just go through the lasers, you know? The lasers are the neuropathies and the alarms are all going off and your child's behavior goes through the roof. That is a sign that you have systemic parasites. If a couple of days before new moon, a couple of days before full moon, you're like, these kids are crazy. Yes, that's them wriggling around. They're interfering. Share your parasites. Maybe they will resolve each other. One will balance the other. Yeah, um, insomnia over full moon, bad sleeping, and then the obvious signs of the itchy bum around that time as well. It was a fun one. Well, your kids are like scratching their... <laughs> um, so, yeah, and, and that's something we learned about on GAP. So um, we didn't know that. We didn't know symptomology of parasites is um, nail-biting. You know, I spoke briefly about it. Hair-sucking, all that kind of stuff. Nail-biting, it's actually for a good reason, because the kids scratch their bums. And then they bite their nails. And the egg cycle happens all over again. Yummy! <laughs> yeah. And then we also discovered that we have the MTHFR gene mutation. Now, we knew long before I ever did any testing that we had that because um, we had a lot of symptoms, and in particular, very, very histamine intolerant. And we started to actually understand that the histamines were causing the anaphylaxis. Because if you think about it, what do you take for allergies? You take antihistamine. Well, my son was actually having, his body had like stored up histamine, and so he would eat something like an egg, like egg white, which is a histamine liberator, and it would not only cause an allergic reaction, but it would release all the histamine in his body, and he would have an anaphylactic reaction. So he wasn't having a traditional anaphylactic reaction. He always thought it was odd, because he never got a swollen tongue. He just, every lymphatic gland would come out in hives, and around his eyes, and if, you know, we've got millions of lymphatic glands all over our body, and he would just swell up in this big puffy ball of hives, and then it would become harder and harder. It would even start swelling up in his esophagus and, and around his air pipe, so that would all become harder and harder for him to breathe. But it wasn't the tingly lip and the swollen tongue that, that people traditionally get. It was different. So it was the histamines coming out from his body rather than that immediate allergic reaction, which is something we discovered through root cause analysis and many, many, many white papers that I read. Okay. So was that gene that was causing Yes, so the gene caused, it's called a mast cell disorder. Yes. Mast cell disorder. And I actually don't fully understand it, but what I believe happens is that when you have mast cell disorder, your body stores histamines instead of getting rid of them. And so when you eat foods that are histamine, high in histamines or liberating of histamines, you get these big combustive reactions. It could do, but it certainly wasn't for Danny. Like, Danny can literally... Even these days, he can touch a nut. He can, he can do that. Before gaps, he couldn't, but he can even eat a tiny bit of nut with no reaction, which isn't a true anaphylactic response, but if he eats a whole walnut, he will have an anaphylactic reaction. 
He's uh, allergic to sesame seeds. Most things are little and they get him. Uh, cashews. And we actually, funnily enough, we don't think walnuts anymore. Because uh, he, got, he had a, a, an accidental uh, walnut. And he had peanut as well recently. He ate something. Uh, my, my daughter had uh, a peanut sandwich and he had an almond nut sandwich. And he ate hers instead of his. And he had no reaction. Yeah, yeah. I'm a bit traumatized. I'm not really truly dizzy. I'm like, I don't need peanuts. So I just... Mm-hmm. Haven't gone down, and it's because I've been so busy. So when when I get back home, I'm going to start actually getting a very very clear picture of what he's still allergic to and what he's not. Yeah, definitely still very very allergic to hazelnuts, though. Yeah, we know that for sure. But yeah, did you have a quick? Oh, sorry. Um, okay. Okay. So how to proceed? So how do you do gaps if you feel like, for example, if you have a histamine problem? Does anyone here know that they have a problem with histamine? Yeah. Okay. So gaps can be daunting because all of the gaps foods are high in histamine, especially the broths and the ferments. They're very high in histamine. So I get a lot of people come to me and go, I can't do gaps because I react to histamines. And now a lot of you didn't put up your hands, but I would say that more than half of you have a histamine problem and you don't know it. And that will become unmasked. Um, Histamines is a funny thing. It's when you eat, um, especially when you strip back to intro and you, you have broth that's cooked for like six hours or something and it makes you feel unwell. Yeah, sometimes it'll make you itch, it'll you itchy eyes, sometimes you get hard, sometimes you just feel, feel unwell. Often it makes it like a redness in the face as well. Um, and Sam would, like, yeah, let me say that loud. No, no, yeah, so it's, uh, um, but there's, there's always ways around it. So there's adjusting gaps so that it's low histamine for you in particular, but, so every now and then I just want to do the little bird on the screen. There is the, um, very, very important consideration that you cannot heal histamines without broth, and you cannot heal histamine intolerance without ferments. But you cannot have ferments if you have a histamine intolerance. So how do we do this? And you do it the same way that we got Danny to tolerate broth, drop by drop. That's how you do it. Okay. So you start off by focusing on making your broths only for one and a half hours. Histamines will grow in broth. This is it's, it's hard, the histamine thing. Histamines will grow in broth the longer you leave it out. If you put it in the fridge, it'll start to get high in histamine. So you make your broth, you cool it down, and then you freeze it. And you have to warm up your broth from scratch every time. Same with leftover meat. You have to freeze it or eat it fresh. So adjusting gaps to histamines is hard, but I can tell you right now it's worth it because after four weeks, we were cooking our broth for three hours and we were eating leftovers from the fridge. It took that long for um, Danny to build tolerance and for my husband, it took longer. But he also built, he took about three months to build tolerance to histamines, but he got there. And then he got all funny about, he decided ferments worked for him because of his histamine tolerance. And so I went and managed to prove otherwise by teaching him how to start with a drop of sauerkraut. Uh, first of all, you can ferment sauerkraut for 12 weeks and the histamines disappear in it. If you've got, if you've got the time, you can. But a long ferment of sauerkraut will result in a lower histamine sauerkraut. We did that, so we started, and then it was starting with a drop of sauerkraut in his broth. And can you believe it? A drop of sauerkraut in his broth was too much fun. Never fear. Mary has a way to go slower than slow. So what we started doing was putting a drop of sauerkraut juice into a glass of water and then taking a drop of that glass of water and putting that in his broth. There are that many millions of probiotics in sauerkraut that he was still getting enough to help him to begin to heal his histamine intolerance. You heal histamine intolerance with, unfortunately, high histamine foods. Uh, it's a, such a 
Yes, and it's yeah. like just, yeah. coagulated on the side of the, of the walls. Yeah. That starchy, unbreakable foods. Absolutely. So what you're doing is you're cleansing <laughs> away layers of biofilm, dead parasites, all that kind of stuff, so that the colonic part of your gut can work better to help eliminate toxins. So you start off just doing, like, you boil water and let it cool, and you do a liter for adults and half a liter for kids. You don't have to do it often. Uh, we were convinced we would not do an enema. I said that was something I'd never do. And then day three of GAPS, I was frantically trying to find an enema kit because my kids were feeling rubbish. So uh, prepare yourselves for enemas. Uh, I, I have yet to meet anyone who isn't constipated. We, you know, no coffee, and especially no coffee for kids. It's much too strong. And I did coffee on myself because I was having a really bad time, and I... On early gas, I triggered the worst migraine I've ever had. There's like too much detox. So coffees were later further down the road for a good amount of detox. Post-chemotherapy, coffee, de- coffee enemas are a huge part of post-chemo. Yeah. No, you start with the water, you build yourself up, you build yourself up, and then you start doing the coffee, and then it, it's incredible. Get Gerson therapy is all about detoxing through coffee enema. Oh, I know. You have to use organic coffee as well. I don't drink it anymore. No. <laughs> I still have my daily coffee. Yeah. Now, I just ask a question. Um, difference between, say, colonic and an enema? Like, and if it's, do you recommend enemas during that? Oh, I recommend colonics and enemas. Uh, yeah, so enemas are a cheap and stay-at-home option. Um, enemas also, you can put probiotic into the water which you'll start doing after you've done a couple of water ones. You'll start adding capsules or sauerkraut juice to the water because then you're starting to get the... I don't know it sounds weird, but you're starting to get that bacteria from both ends, you know? Pincer movement. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Can you just finish the capsules now that we've had it prepared? Do you have a video? Yeah, Elise Comerford's the one. Yeah, she's got this video on Joe's page, which goes into a lot of detail about it. We can add you all to the Facebook group. Yeah, I think that's that's a good idea. Yeah. Okay. So how do you proceed with gaps when you feel like it's not going to help you or that it will make you worse or you've been told by a doctor or a naturopath that gaps isn't for you? Uh, you proceed by focusing on healing the gut and rebalancing the microbiome. And you work at your own pace that's really really important don't work at the book's pace don't work at my let's do intro in six weeks pace that was nonsense what was i thinking you work according to your body's symptoms there are things that you will be able to push through that will make you feel uncomfortable and that's okay as long as it's a mild discomfort if they are making you feel so just uncomfortable that your husband wants to have you committed to a psychiatric ward you are pushing too hard okay okay (laughs) um the signs to slow down, that's so I talked about that earlier. If the mind, the skin, and the stool are all telling you that they're unhappy, then you need to figure out what it is that's caused that unhappiness. And hopefully it's obvious because um, you would have just introduced sauerkraut and suddenly everything's going wrong. And sometimes you can't think straight when you're in this, and you're like, I don't understand why everything's going wrong. This isn't for me. I need to stop gaps. I want you to all remember this moment where I say to you, pull back on the probiotic. <laughs> Because we all think, okay, I'm going to start probiotics. Here's a tablespoon. And you shove it in. You must start with a drop. Okay. Even if I was tolerating a mound full of sauerkraut before intro, and I couldn't tolerate sauerkraut for six months once I had rebooted my computer. Not even a drop. That was because of my chronic fatigue and the lymphatic system was just shut down and not moving. 
So I always say to people, start with a drop, and then they come back to me and they go, I didn't listen to you, and I started with a tablespoon, and this is what happened. Believe me when I say start small and build up. And the way we did it was we just put a little chart on the thing, and we would actually write down what we had yesterday. Because otherwise you get into this habit of, I'll have a drop, and then lunchtime comes and go, that went down well, I'll have another teaspoon, because I think that I passed that drop. It takes three days for die-off to kick in. Okay, so have a drop for three days. And if you're still feeling good on that third day, then you increase it. And sometimes you can increase it fast. And sometimes you will increase it. And then you realize that you've gotten much worse and you just go back to where you were. Okay. Everyone promised me that that's why you'll do it. Okay. Because I know too many people who've gone mad with sauerkraut and then come to me and stopped gaps because they don't believe it's working for them because they feel so terrible without managing to connect the cause and effect that the sauerkraut has created too much die-off and too much detox. Okay. Uh, prioritize the healing foods. I mean, don't get to the stage where you all like your nuts and your baked goods. I suddenly heard the South African bossy voice there. I see what you mean. Yeah. So don't you start thinking, okay, now that we can eat nuts, that's what we're going to eat. We're going to just eat nuts now. Because I want muffins for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. You don't heal without broth. And you don't heal without fermented foods or broad-spectrum probiotics, whichever one you are tolerating. We healed with broth, but we couldn't start to shift the microbiome for a very long time because of the histamine issues with the fermented foods. It doesn't matter if you're not taking the fermented foods early on in gaps. Don't beat yourself up and go, I'm not healing because I'm not taking them yet. You're preparing your body to be able to handle them. Okay. It's, it's, it's not a race. I always try to say that to people. But please bear in mind that if you get to the end of gaps and you never did the fermented foods, you didn't do gaps. Okay. There are, I would say there are five. I'm going to say five and then I'm going to hope that I'm right. Healing foods. Broth. Egg yolks. Now, that's a big one that a lot of people don't tolerate for a while. Nonetheless, at some point, you're going to have to bring those egg yolks in. At some point, you're going to have to heal enough to tolerate egg yolks. Okay. And this is what this really hard-ass GAPS practitioner told me. She said, you haven't done GAPS if you haven't done egg yolks. <laughs> and we were being a bit lax on the egg yolks. <laughs> okay, egg yolks, organ meats, chicken liver pate is a nice, easy option for kids. And it is very, very good as long as your chicken livers are organic. Okay. Broth, eggs. Or meat, cod liver oil. It's a must. It's also high in histamine, so it's a slow progress to the cod liver oil. And fermented foods. That's fermented dairy, fermented vegetables. There's another one. <laughs> I knew there would be another one. Broad spectrum probiotics. The ones you have to buy and pay a shed load of money for. There's the gentle ones like Gut Pro. There's the more hardcore ones like BioCult. The reason that they are so critically important is because the bacteria that you get in sauerkraut is wonderful, but it's limited. The bacteria, and there's huge amounts in sauerkraut, and in these paid-for probiotics, much less bacteria in them, as in quantity, but they have 15 different strains, strains that are missing, strains that we used to get because we had wells, and we would dig wells and get our water out of the wells, and the soil probiotics would get into our bodies through the soil, now our soil is depleted because of commercial farming, and we certainly aren't digging wells and drinking out of them. So those broad-spectrum probiotics have those bacteria in that we simply do not have access to. When they did the study, they measured these little isolated communities that have perfect teeth. Have you ever heard about Western A. Price Foundation? 
he was a dentist. He would be traveling around the world and he would measure the bacterial content of people in isolated communities who had no diabetes, no heart disease, and always these perfect teeth. As a dentist, he was fascinated. Think about genetic mutations like tongue tie. They didn't have that gene was never turned on. And when he tested, they still they had this incredible broad spectrum probiotic in their stool samples. And you'd measure like from London, and we would be like, Eek! and English student. Sorry, anyone who's English. No. I'd cycle, but I'd start in a very, very structured way. I would start with um, whey. Whey prepares the gut. It's a transitory bacteria that prepares the gut to be able to handle the colonizing bacteria, sauerkraut, and care for colonizing bacteria that cause more die off as a result. They get into a gut and they stay there to fight the big fight. The dairy ferments are transitory, so they pass through your gut and do some good work on their way, but you have to keep replenishing that every day. But those transitory bacteria prepare your gut for the colonizing bacteria. So you make yogurt and have whey. If you're not on dairy, then you would start with a thing called crop juice. Now, it sounds like sauerkraut juice, but it's not. It's basically you make sauerkraut with a big jar full of cabbage and some... um, filtered water, if the cabbage doesn't release enough of its own brine. Kraut juice, you put in that much cabbage, like an inch, and you fill the rest with filtered water and some salt. And if you are using vegetable starters, you use vegetable starters, and you let that ferment for about three to five days. It is very mild, and it is a great way for babies to start probiotic foods, because it is so mild that it won't cause any kind of histamine response. But you start with a drop of kraut juice. And you build them up, and you build them up, and once they're tolerating like a cup of kraut juice every day, then you start them on the sauerkraut, the really hardcore stuff. There's a very structured process way to do to do probiotics. You would never, ever in your wildest dreams start with kefir. Kefir is the goal, the long-term goal. It is very, very, very strong. However, as I was told by this hard-up practitioner, if you aren't doing kefir, you aren't doing gaps. <laughs> so the goal is to get there, okay? but gently. I was, yeah, yeah. I couldn't tolerate them at all once I rebooted that machine. Yeah. I think it's because your body becomes so fragile. Is not the word. It's so um, receptive. You know what I mean? When you rebooted it, it's so clean. It's like a newborn. <laughs> that fasting has put you into the state of hypersensitivity, and not only are you unmasking things, but you're also your body is prepared to heal because you fasted. So fasting really triggers the body from maintenance mode into healing mode. You know the ketogenic diet that they do for kids who have severe epilepsy? So the children fast for three days and their epileptic seizures stop because of the, the, the seizures were caused by the neuropathways between a bacteria and the brain being really, really messed up. Those neuropathways break and the seizures stop. But then they have to, from that point on, eat a very, very high fat, pretty much a gaps diet for two years for the seizures not to come back. But I know of, of kids that were having grand mal seizures five times a day who've never seized again from fasting for three days and then doing the high fat to heal the gut. So really, really big, incredible, crazy stuff happening in terms of gut and brain connections. So if you think about that fasting, breaking those neuropathways, it's like a newborn baby. The baby comes out into the world and these neuropathways are starting 
to attach to this virgin gut to tell the baby what it needs because previously there was no need for those because the umbilical cord was feeding the baby everything it needed. It was allowed to just grow. It was allowed to just develop. But now you've got this the light and all that. We're the same on intro. It's kind of like you put yourself into this newborn state and so you can be very, very, very sensitive to things that you never noticed you were sensitive to before. Well, if you think about a newborn baby, you don't think out proud as it's best. So what do you do? You start, no, you don't. Very basic. Although. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I put probiotics on my nipples and I certainly put it like a sauerkraut mix of water on my nipples to help get that populated gut better than what I had possibly given my baby. But you're absolutely right. The baby needs only the most highly digested form of those foods, which is breast milk. Yeah. And how sensitive that baby is. If you were to feed that baby sauerkraut, <laughs> can you imagine? Without preparing, no. without preparing the gut for it, yeah. And babies are born with highly porous guts. And at the time that you start intro, you have a highly porous gut. This is a good analogy. I'm going I'm to work with this one. Yeah. <laughs> and then the baby's gut gets less and less and less porous as it gets around that six month, you know, four, between four and six months when it starts to be able to tolerate the solids. Yeah. Very similar, very similar thing, you know. You could say breastfeeding is faster. Because it's highly digestible. I use the fermented cod liver oil. Yeah, yeah. There was a whole big hoo-ha about it. Yes. And um, I did so much research in it. And I honestly believe it was an opposing company trying to bring another company down. I think when it comes down to it, there was something very wrong with, the, with, that, with that lampooning. Uh, there was a fermented cod liver oil. It's the only one in the world called Blue Ice. And... Um, we turned a corner on that particular cod liver oil, especially on week three in intro, we went from not coping to coping, and it was on that particular brand, so I always listen to body first. And I've given it to my kids, it makes them feel sick. Okay, yeah. Then try the Rosita's extra virgin cod liver oil and see, but it also might make them feel sick because it's high in histamine. Yeah, it made us, um, it was so full of all the vitamins, uh, vitamin B that the histamine uh, mast cell kids are low in, um, the, the night aching kids are low in, that I just saw my son, he went from like on death's door lying around just watching TV all day to just suddenly bouncing around. And we've noticed that every time we've let it um, slide from our diet and we've brought it back, it's been incredible. However, I rotate. I do the fermented cod liver oil and then I do the uh, Rosita's extra virgin cod liver oil. And we just rotate like that. And we always take it in combination with a good quality fish oil. Cod liver oil is not fish oil. It does a completely different thing. So don't think that if you're taking a cod liver oil, you don't need the fish oil. The fish oils in the cup, there are very, very few things on gaps that you have to buy. But those are, are, are the probiotics and the cod liver oil and the fish oil are the three things. Blue eyes. But I suspect all that hoo ha is going to probably put them out of business. In the, in the long run, yeah, which I think is really sad, you know. And all I know is that it made us feel fantastic. We really, really benefited from it. So, we started at three weeks when my son started to be able to tolerate the longer cooked broths and all of that. Yeah. We started on the cod liver oil. I really believed he was going to have a problem with the cod liver oil because of the histamine, but he never did. Yeah, it is so disgusting. Yeah. Do not add it to anything. Just get it over and done with. You know, just have it in the. Uh, and how, the reason, you know, every time I try to get the kids to try new foods, it's like, oh, try this. It's so yummy. And then we got the carnivore, and I was like, guys, I'm not going to lie to you. It's the most disgusting thing you've ever tasted in your life. It will make you vomit. Oh, 
I want to try that. <laughs> so funny. But a little trick I learned is that the fish oil often is um, flavored with an essential lemon oil. Um, if you take the cod liver oil and you block your nose and then you quickly take the fish oil, the fish oil is the only thing on this planet that takes away the flavor of the cod liver oil. Everything else, you can have honey, just taste like cod liver oil, honey. Yeah. Or you can get it in capsules. But for little kids, they don't. So, so. Yeah, yeah, I think if, you, if your body needs it, you start to crave it. Like my kids now come home from school and they ask for cod liver oil, which is mind-blowing to me. If it was up to me, I probably would have just let it slide away because it's so repulsive to me. That's the blue ice. Well, they used to recommend the blue ice. And then the whole the Western Air Price still, uh, there's Rosita's extra cod liver oil and the fermented cod liver oil. Uh, green pastures was another. It's the same thing. The blue ice and the green pastures is the same thing. Yeah. There's a good one called Carl's. Yes, I have their fish oil. Yeah. Because they all, they get the freshly pressed oil from Carl's. Yes. On a monthly basis. And that's what they sell. So it's like, it's not all. That's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. That's a really good resource as well. iHub.com internationally for $9. And you can buy uh, things like gelatin powder, which costs about $45 here, um, will cost about $20 on iHerb. And we'll leave the products are cheaper. iHerb. Yeah, just the little yeah. I, like I've had iHerb.com. And Carlson's fish oil is a really good one to bring in. Okay, I've said it so many times, and I'm going to say it again. Not yet does not mean not never. So many people think that if you fail a food, you fail a food forever. Because that's how we've been trained to think. Because we forget sometimes that we're trying to heal the gut. And to heal the gut, you're not going to fail that food forever. There have been foods that I never thought I would eat again, like dairy, and I now eat every single day. Okay. Questions? I know we've been asking questions all day. Well, that was my question. So you go on gaps for two odd years. Yeah. And then you slowly introduce back everything. Yes, in a very strategic way. Yeah. Do you ever need to redo it again? Like, is yes. that then healed for life? Uh, no, not necessarily. No. The world that we live in is toxic, yeah. you know, and we can forget that sometimes. And we can swim in too many chlorinated pools too often. For us, that's a real problem because of the, the gene mutation. Chlorine is something that those kids don't process at all. But we'll go on holiday and we'll swim in chlorine pools and wonder why the kids are looking a bit grey at the end of the holiday. Um, I... Sometimes, if it's really bad, like after Christmas, the kids, you know, had they had gelato and pizza and things like that. I'll just do a little three-day boost on intro with yeah. them. Um, or what we actually agreed, they got sick of doing the boosts. The kids were like getting a bit stomping their feet about it, and they're like, "We want to eat more oats and things like that." So I said to them, "Okay, I will agree to to start fermenting oats and doing those kinds of um, whole foods things, but you have to agree to then we upped all the healing food." So we. Now are back on two to three cups of broth a day, which we'd slip down to one. Mm -hmm. They have to have the cod liver oil every day. They have to have sauerkraut every day. They have to have um, organ meats every day. If they do those four things every single day, then I agree to give them some oats fermented and, and whey every now and then. Yeah. The, the problem with all of these foods is you can go back to eating them all, but because of the world we live in, it yeah. will cause your microbiome to regress. And so the symptoms will come. Like, so say if you're doing it for an autistic child. Yeah, yeah. Autistic child, yeah, they need... Uh, How do you get off it? Or it's not that. Like, that's what... 
I'm confused with us Yeah, yeah. For autistic kids, you've got to consider the damage and you've got to consider the genetic response to that damage and you need to just spend longer, yeah. longer healing. Yeah. Autistic kids take longer to heal because there's a lot more damage and a lot more toxicity. So they talk about the toxicity in the brain interfering literally with the child, the baby, learning how to make eye contact with them because there are toxins crossing over those neuropathways. So you have so much to heal and not only that, you also have to help them to develop all the development that they missed yeah. Because they weren't making the great eye contact. So you're going to be doing therapies and you're going to be doing healing. And then you're going to get to a point where you're going to try these foods and you're going to see a regression. And then you're going to go back onto just sticking with the healing, head down, bun up. And then one day you're going to try the healing foods and they're going to be okay. It doesn't mean that um, the, the new foods, it doesn't mean you just start eating the new foods though. Think about by that stage, right now you can't imagine this, but by that stage you won't want to eat any different. Yeah. Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's, I never believed that. I was like, I will do this, I'll do this for two years, and then I'm going back to eating the way I know how to eat. But by the time I got to two years, this was the way I knew how to eat. And I, I was happy to try everything now and then, but really, I'm in my routine now. And then, yeah, so it's, by the time you get to that, to that question mark of two years, it's not even a question anymore. Yeah. Yeah, so, okay. That helps, yeah. yeah. It's really hard in the beginning. And to see that path forward, yeah. And, yeah. yeah. and like you're saying, with the social things, like that's where it becomes the hardest. Yeah, it does. It is. It becomes very hard. Yeah. yeah. And it's hard for a period, and you just got to look at this. It's a bit like pregnancy; it's just a phase yeah. in your life. You know, you can't eat all these nice things. <laughs> Let me tell you though about pregnancy: I ate raw cheeses and raw egg yolks and liver patty. All the things they tell you not to eat during pregnancy are the things that feed these babies' brains. And your that thing just destroys me. You know? Okay, granted, I didn't eat raw egg yolks from cage-fed eggs. I only ate organic pastured raw egg yolks because you don't get sick from those egg yolks because those chickens are eating what they were supposed to eat. They're designed to eat what the meat eats. One man's meat is another man's poison. Yes, I did it. Okay. Natasha Camel McBride's actually written a book called One Man's Meat is Another Man's Poison. And it kind of goes back to what I said yesterday about you'll notice your kids will either crave veggies or meat, and it means toxic or uh, reactive. Remember that what I said yesterday? Autistic kids will be toxic and reactive. They're, they're, they're the big, big whammy. So it's also important to remember that sometimes your kids will be craving veggies and then sometimes I have to push Danny. He said, I don't like eating meat and fat. I have to push him to eat meat and fat. And if he decides he doesn't want to eat the fat on meat, he has to have sour cream or he has to pee. He has to, he has to get that fat somewhere because he would choose not to eat it, but his body definitely needs it. And I know that about his body and his particular brain. When he doesn't eat it, he loses weight and he just doesn't function as well. But he still doesn't crave it. He craves the veggies. That's what the overriding thing his brain is telling him is detox, detox, detox. Okay. So there are times where you have to manage, but I will give him less meat and fat, and I will give his sister a huge plate of meat and fat because that's what she loves. Fatty lamb chops! <laughs> On about night three, or maybe about night five of intro, she was having a dream about fatty lamb chops. She was lying in her bed, <laughs> rolling over, and I kept hearing something coming from Eddie's room, and I went in and she's fatty lamb chops. I just want fatty lamb chops. It was so funny. <laughs> and then we told, she discovered what, where a lamb was from. She looked at this leg of lamb. She goes, is that a lamb? <laughs> you mean a sweet little lamb? <laughs> and I was like, yes, babe. And she picks up this huge chunk of it and she goes, oh, lamb, why'd you have to taste so good? <laughs> the last time she asked me about lamb, it was so funny. She couldn't, couldn't override her desire. Her desire and her body to leave for the lamb. <laughs> why do you have to taste so good? That's one of my all time favorite moments of kids. Yeah. So, um, 
yeah, so my advice is probably don't think too much about the end goal. Um, it's, I suppose it's important because it gives you hope, but you're not hoping for this to end, you're hoping for this to heal. You know what I mean? Focus on the joy and the healing that's happening right now and, and don't rush it. Uh, that's an impossible thing. And it's, it's, it's me telling you that from a person who rushed it and who understands completely what it's like to need to know that there's an end in sight and that this isn't forever. Um, but use, use words to help you enjoy the process. Use the mothering words of this is my role. I'm healing my children. I'm empowering my family to have a healthy future. I'm avoiding dementia. And can, you know, use those kind of positive affirmations to help you to focus on and enjoy the nourishing food. We've been having such incredibly nourishing food here on this retreat. And every mouthful you eat and you know as it goes down your body that your body's just going, mm, that's good. Do you know what I mean? It feels good in your body. So enjoy that process. If a food doesn't feel good in your body, pull it up for a bit. Your body's telling you that it doesn't like it. Okay? You'll, you'll get to learn all the signs and symptoms. Any more questions? Yes. Can you just reconfirm something you said to me yesterday? Yes. So if, um, I wanted to, my kids don't have major, major symptoms, yeah. but I want to make them as healthy as I possibly can, and yeah. they probably do have red flags that might lead to these. Yeah. And you said it's possible just to do the whole foods diet with your broths and your... The mints. Yeah. And those, those six that I listed. Six. Yes. Yeah. Would you have them daily? Yes. And then you said something about I could possibly do just the intro of GAPS as a bit of a Yeah, right? boost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A bit of a yeah. boost. Yeah. So but I would also go in there without your preconceived notions because there I was with Eden and I thought Daniel needed healing and she was just going to come along for the ride. Mm -hmm. And she needed so much healing that I couldn't see as a mother. So when you go into intro, you can go in saying I'm going to do a six-day boost or you can go in saying I'm just going to see how they go. And if they detox hard... That's a sign that they need some healing. If they don't, if they just cruise through it and they don't even... Yeah, waking up feeling a bit nauseous. Sometimes they'll vomit on the first day. Sometimes they'll choose to fast. This is something I really need to talk to you guys about. About a quite a large percentage of kids choose to fast on intro. And it's because... It's not because they're being stubborn or fussy. It's because their body is feeling fluey. We call it the gaps food. And it is perfectly normal and it is actually exactly what they need. If they have millions of bad neuro pathways and they choose not to eat over those first few days, as a mother and in this society, if a child stops eating, you start to think about, am I being a bad mother? That's the first thing we're taught to do. Am I being a bad mother by not, you know, my, my child's not eating? Food's not actually all that important. Fasting is a really healthy, healthy uh, mechanism for our body to trip into healing mode. And for some kids who are really toxic, it takes them longer to break all those neuro pathways. That's simply what's happening. Keep them hydrated. That's the most important thing. And you can do that through icy pole. You make literally broth icy poles. And they suck on that. Um, also ginger tea with a little bit of honey in it. Um, icy poles. Um, little gummies. You know, Joe's talks about gummies. We also make like honey, lemon, ginger tea gummies with that gelatin I was talking to you about from Aho. Um, all these little treats to help them just get something in every day. My kids didn't fast. I really thought they were. But I've had, I've had a woman client whose child fasted for 11 days did not eat for 11 days, and she was pulling her hair out, and she kept calling me, and I kept telling her, it's going to be okay, and the only reason I could tell her that with authority is because I've seen this so many times before, and I've never seen a child that doesn't start, start eating, and when they start eating on day 12, they are hangry, they are rats, and suddenly all those neuropathways have re-established, and they found the gut, 
and now they're like, oh my God, give me that food, give me that food. And they start to eat like 50 million times a day, you know, the little birds feeding them the fatty lamb chops. But the fasting can be very upsetting and very difficult to go through. And so you need a support person. You need someone you can talk to who can assure you that this is okay and that everything's going to be okay. And your goal is to keep that child hydrated because dehydration is a whole other story. Yeah? Yeah. And what you'll be surprised, I mean, I had kids, some kids, all kids will eat something during the day. Like they'll have a mouthful of Russian custard or they'll eat the icy poles or something like that. And that's fine as long as they're having liquid and, and just trying things every now and then. But... You need to put yourself in their shoes. They feel like they have the flu. And do you remember if any of you have ever had the flu? You don't eat when you've got the flu. So your advice would be to do intro and yes. see how they, see how they go. Just see how they detox over stage one and two. Is that six days? Well, uh, I always say stage one, two days, three days. No, not much longer than that. The only people who don't move on to stage two are people who are very, very sick, like my son shouldn't have been able to move on to stage two. He was, though, but he healed like miraculous healing. But a lot of people will find that they can't move on to stage two because there's diarrhea. You never move on when there's watery stool. I'm not talking about loose stool. I'm talking about watery stool. As a sign, you need to stay exactly where you are and get that to calm down. Um, or if you can't introduce the eggs. That's not true either. There are people who are anaphylactic to eggs who have moved from stage one to stage three and just skipped the egg yolk stage or stage two. Um, because if, if they, what if they take two years to heal the egg allergy? Are they going to stay on t- stage one for two years? No, you're not. Mm-hmm. Stage one is important for the fasting, but then you need to move on to the nutrition. Okay. So don't linger on stage one unless there's a very, very good reason to. And then stage two is where you want to spend most of your time. So your bulk of your time should be on stage two. And then everything else is basically bringing food back into your diet so you can get to full gaps. I think it's good to do stage one and two. Yeah. 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 So, but if they don't eat to five days, yeah. What stage, I know, what you, stage on? you on? Yeah. So the fasting kids, it's a different story. Okay. So yeah. often you'll find that these kids won't eat, won't eat, won't eat. Oh, come in. These are the gummies. Oh. It's like homemade lollies. Take them to birthday parties. Oh, uh, yeah. They just came out. It's a new time to wrap up. This is what we made the other day. Yeah. So, um. Often what I say with those kids is the mum will get a bit confused by that because the child's not eating, so I don't know what stage they're on. And then we'll talk about it and I'll say, well, why don't you try a stage two food like scrambled egg or try Russian custard. That's always the first one because also what happens when you cut out all that food is you go into ketosis. Ketosis isn't a bad thing. It's a good thing. Um, It's basically your body switching from burning carbs to burning fat. And when you come out of ketosis, you'll notice you can walk up a mountain without feeling puffed. You know what I mean? It's a really lovely lovely step for your body to be in. But um, when kids go through ketosis, they feel very, very lethargic. And the way to improve that is to mix carbs and fats. And carbs on gaps are either your sweet pumpkins and, and carrots and all of that um, mixed with fat, or it is egg yolks mixed with a bit of honey, or it is literally coconut oil or ghee mixed with a bit of honey. And literally, you can either freeze them in the in the freezer or you on a spoon and they just shovel this fat and mixed with a bit of carbs and that gets your sugar levels balanced again. Same way that you do with a diabetic. That's, so that's a, a trick to getting them to feel better sometimes. But if that doesn't work and they won't touch that, uh, then it's just keeping them hydrated. And then when they come out of the fast, you'll know where they are. Yeah. So the fast, you just get through it. Yeah. And then you'll come out of it probably on stage two with, or stage three with scrambled eggs cooked in ghee and a bit of avo coming into the mix maybe, you know, that kind of thing. So usually kids fast into stage two, <coughs> early stage three. They don't drink broth. Oh, yeah. Ginger tea. Oh, water. Absolutely. Yeah. Another great thing is ginger tea, a little bit of lemon, a little 
little bit of honey. Don't be afraid to use the honey in those first early stages. Honey is a yeast feeder, but it also keeps our sugar levels when you mix it with fat. So it is one of those things that for the first two weeks you might have to overuse it because these are kids who are used to getting sweet things, mm. and then you taper it back as you go further on. Yeah. Like I do, it's pretty bad. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. <laughs> I was popping those jellies back. 50 million a day. Oh, <laughs> Gaps is awesome. <laughs> I've never eaten that much honey. You know, I'm not. Yeah, like, yeah, I didn't really like honey until then. Until it was the only option. Oh, when I mean, you get to full gaps and you can make Joe's chocolate. Oh my god. That was just like. So good, yeah. So good. Yes. So it is going back to something you mentioned yesterday about the unsensory um, issues. Yeah. So I've got a almost 13 year old who mm-hmm. now thinks she has a sensory issue. Yeah, yeah. She picks it when I do like meat and tree veg. Yes. Or I'll say, all right, eat that piece of meat and yeah. then you can leave the table. Yeah. Well, I've got to go through it. She's still chewing on it an hour. Oh, away. yeah, yeah. So what does that mean? Well, it could be tongue tie as well, you know. <laughs> but, yeah, no, it does. It means that they, um, so sensory issues kind of build on themselves, you know, often because they don't like the foods that have texture, um, they also don't like to chew them, so they don't have any practice chewing them. Like, it took us a long time to get my, my son to be able to chew on steak because not only did he not like the texture, but he, because he didn't like the texture, he always avoided anything like that. You know, So the, the muscles have to build up as well. But the sensory processing disorder is a spectrum disorder. Um, but lots of I have sensory processing issues, but I wouldn't consider myself to be autistic spectrum. They've just recently now included it in that spectrum, but I think that's just a label and a line. Uh, Sensory issues are neuropathway issues. They are um, bacteria. Um, it's a bit like parasites, actually. A lot of sensory stuff comes from parasitic behavior, where I say that where there's things that don't help to advance you as a human, it's probably parasites. Do you know what I mean? Have parasite issues. Yeah. Parasite. Yeah, yeah. Eczema is a big parasite indicator, and sensory processing issues are big parasite indicator as well. There'd be a whole mixed mash. Because remember, parasites aren't the root cause of anything. They're just part of the imbalance of the microbiome. So that will be one of the things we will have to deal with down the road. Yeah. But the sensory stuff cleared up quite quickly. Yeah. So they need to take this to Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I would say, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I would also just see what happens on gaps with her. Yeah. If you're willing to go for it. Yeah, that would be the thing I'd do. Thanks. Thank you. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.